going to be in Psalm chapter 4 tonight, so if you have a Bible with you, uh, if you have it on your phone, however you have God's Word with you tonight, we're going to be in the fourth chapter of the book of Psalms. Um, I do have a testimony that I wanted to give tonight. Uh, Gabby and I, she's in the nursery right now, so she's not in here, but we finished, we both finished our bachelor's degree last week, so that was awesome. We graduated from college, so that's a huge blessing. Uh, it was a little bit intimidating for me, though, because realizing uh, how smart the woman that I married is, uh, she graduated, uh, just to tell you a little, I just want to brag on her for a second because she's not in here. Um, she graduated in three years with her bachelor's degree, so that's an accomplishment in itself. Like She was booking it, trying to get done with college. Not only did she graduate in three years, though, she graduated in three years with honors as well. She had like a 3.75 GPA, so that was a huge accomplishment for her, and I just wanted to, to brag on her a little bit for that, so that, that was awesome. Uh, Psalm chapter 4 tonight. When Gabby and I first got married, we were planning on going on our honeymoon uh, to Jamaica, right? We had this awesome honeymoon planned. It was going to be great. It was going to be a, a lot of fun. We were going to, it was, it was winter, it was December when we got married. And so we were planning on going to Jamaica. We were going to have this awesome time. We were going to be on the beach. It was going to be warm. It was going to be fantastic. We were going to be hanging out with all the Jamaicans. It was going to be great, right? And, but a couple months before, our honeymoon, uh, our uh, honeymoon got canceled to Jamaica. We couldn't go to Jamaica because of COVID reasons and financial reasons. We couldn't go to Jamaica anymore. And so we decided we were going to go to the next best place. And so some of you, you're like, man, Hawaii, Bahamas, man, you're going to go. No, we went to Georgia. That's, that's where we went. <laughs> we went to Georgia for our honeymoon. But it was awesome. It was fun. The problem, though, was when we first got there, uh, we, we had booked this cabin. It was in the middle of the woods in Georgia, in the mountains. We were planning it. And it, it, you know, me, I like Mr. Romantic, right? So I'm, I'm trying to plan this out. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at different cabins, right? And I found this one. It looks like super romantic, great for a honeymoon, right? And so I book it and we're going to get there. And I'm a new husband. So I'm feeling, you know, pretty confident in myself. You know, I'm, I, I have a wife now and so I'm a man. And so we drive down there. And we get to our honeymoon destination. The problem was we got there at nighttime. And I don't know if you know this, but there's no street lights in the Georgia mountains. Like when it's nighttime, you can't see anything, right? It, like you're driving through. And if a deer walks like five feet in front of you, you can't see it. So, so we're driving through. We get to our destination and we have to drive up this super long hill in order to be able to get there. And it's dark. I'm, I'm getting like horror movie vibes when I'm driving up this mountain. It's freaky, right? And so I get to the top of this mountain and we're looking for our place where we're staying and we're trying to find it. We're looking all over and, and we're having the same conversation that you guys do when you go on vacation. Like you drive up to a house and you're like, I think that's it. And your, your spouse is like, no, I, I don't think that's it. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure that's the one. It looks like the address. And like, I don't think that's the one. And so finally we, we pull into a driveway. We're like, I'm pretty sure this is it. But we looked in the window and there was a light on in the house and so i wasn't totally confident that it was the right house but i but i but i got out of the car gabby and i like we're gonna see if this is the right place it's dark there's nobody around i'm expecting like serial to come up serial killer to come up behind me with a machete and like chop my head off that's what i'm expecting when i get out of the car and i walk up the stairs and <laughs> remember it's christmas time and so when i walked up the stairs i hear music coming from the inside of the house and it was Christmas music. And some of you are like, oh, that's so sweet. No, it's not sweet. Not when it's pitch black outside. You're in the middle of the mountains. You're in a cabin that you think you're supposed to be staying in. And there's Christmas music coming on the inside of the house. Like, have a holly jolly Christmas. Like, it's freaky. It's freaky. And in that moment, I did not want to stay in that cabin. I was scared out of my mind. I wanted to run. I, I wanted to get out. I wanted to go to my car. I wanted to get in my car. And I wanted to go home. Like, that's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was run. 
Why? Because when we're scared, when we're frightened, we run to something that we're confident in. My confidence was not in that cabin. I thought I was going to get murdered in that cabin. That's not where my confidence was. My confidence was in my car so that I could get out of there, but my confidence wasn't in the cabin. And so the question that we're going to be asking ourselves tonight, that we're going to walk through tonight in Psalm chapter number 4, is we're going to be asking this question. Where do you run? Like when the trials of life hit, when, when things don't go your way, when, when something happens in your life that's hard, when the difficulties of life hit you, where do you run? Psalm chapter 4 is a really interesting psalm. If you look at the, at the top of the song, it says to the chief musician Negnoth, right? And then it says a psalm of David. And what that tells us is that this was a psalm. It was written to be sung in the temple by Negnoth. And you're like, what is Negnoth? Well, Negnoth is, is kind of like a group of people in the temple. They were the stringed instruments people. And so the chief musician, he was kind of like the conductor over the stringed instruments in, in the temple. And so this would be like the harp, the psaltery, the, the viol, things that, the, things that have the, the stringed instruments, kind of like our violin and our, our, our cello, those kind of instruments today. And so David writes this psalm to the chief musician. So you have to remember, when we're reading this psalm, it's a song. It was to be sung in the temple, and it was to be played by these people who were playing the, the stringed instruments. And it says that it was written by David, but, but it doesn't tell us what point of David's life it was written in. You know how some psalms, they'll tell you, you know, hey, this was written when David was running away from his son Absalom, or, or some psalms will tell you different things about it. This doesn't give us very much other than it was written by David. But we can kind of see the type of situation that David is in as we start to read this psalm. And so in the first five verses, David is really calling out to God. And it seems like there is something really, really difficult going on in David's life. We don't know what it is. We don't know what section of David's life this is. But we do know that there's a very difficult thing going on in David's life. Not just for David, though. It's for all of God's people. It's for everybody. Like everybody is going through, so whether it was an enemy coming into Israel or whatever the case is, this is a really difficult time for David and for God's people. And in, and in the next couple of verses, David, he's trying to encourage God's people to trust in God. So we have this really difficult time. We have David crying out to God, pleading for God for help. All of Israel is just, they're in a trial. And then we get to verses, verse number six. We're going to read that together. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me well and safe. And so tonight what we're going to look at is we're going to look at three reasons why Jesus is where you should run. Three reasons why Jesus is where you should run. And the first reason that I see in this chapter is that good things will never satisfy. Good things will never satisfy. Look at verse number six. Look what it says. David's saying this and he says, there be many that say, who will show us any good? Who will show us any good? And this is not just a few people. 
David says there's many during this time that say, who will show us any good? And so these people, they're moping around. They're not having a good time, right? They're moping around. They're afraid probably, probably for good reason. And they've turned into to these like, have you ever seen Winnie the Pooh, right? How many of you guys have ever seen Winnie the Pooh? I grew up on Winnie the Pooh, right? You know Eeyore, like I lost my tail, that guy, right? That's how they are. They're, they're moping around. They got nothing to live for. They say, you know what? There's nothing good in my life. Who's going to show us any good? And what they're looking for is they're looking for these physical blessings in their life. And they're looking at the, these different things in their life. They're looking at the fact that the enemy is coming. They're looking at the fact that, 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 that Israel's going through a famine. We don't know what the situation was. All we know is that it was bad. And they're looking at their situation and they're like, man, there is nothing good in my life. There's nothing good. And chances are they had pretty good reason to be upset. Even at the beginning of the psalm, David, he's like, man, God, would you please deliver me from these people? These people, they're, they're abusing me. They're treating me like dirt. They're, they're doing all these things. They're lying about me. They're seeking after lies is what he says earlier in the chapter. And so they have good reason to be upset, but they're looking for the physical blessings. They're looking for good things in their life, and they, they can't seem to find them. They ran to find encouragement in something. Here's what I want to ask you. Where, where do you run to find encouragement? Where do you run? Because some of us, the moment that we find ourselves in trouble, man, we, we run to our bank account. And we're like, man, we, we got we to gotta make sure all that money's still there because that's where our confidence is, right? We, we got to make sure all that money's still there because if that money's still there, then I still have value. I still have meaning. But if that money's gone, then I don't have any meaning. And so the moment that trouble hits, man, we run to our bank account. But for some of us, we run to the TV. We spend hours upon hours upon hours sitting in front of the TV trying to find some kind of relief. For some of you, it's Instagram or, or Facebook, and you spend hours scrolling through, looking at everybody else's life, trying to find encouragement from that. For some of you, it's work. Man, the moment that something goes wrong in your life, you run to work because that is where you find your identity. For some of you, it's religion. It's like the moment that something goes wrong, the moment that something happens in your life that, that you're like, man, I don't know what to do. You start looking at everybody else and you try to find encouragement in the fact that you're better than everybody. You look at the people on the street, you're like, man, I don't have gauges in my ear and I don't, I don't have these kind of things, so, so I'm pretty good. God must really love me. That's where you find your encouragement. For some of you, it's that addiction that you keep going back to over and over and over again. For some of you, it might be alcohol. I don't know. For some of you, it might be something else. It, it, might, be, it, it might be that Instagram. It might be, it might be porn. It might be something in your life that you continually go back to to try to find encouragement. And that's what these people are doing. They're looking at their life, and they're trying to find something that's good, and they can't find it. But here's the question. If that's you tonight, and you came in tonight, and, and, and you're finding, you're trying to find satisfaction, you're trying to find joy, you're trying to find safety, you're running to physical things, here's my question to you. What happens when that runs out? What happens when that stops satisfying you? Or worse, what happens when it's not there anymore? Then where do you go? 
Because everything that we try to find in our life, everything will have an end. And so when that end comes, what happens? Where do you go? For some of you, we don't know. We don't know where we'd go. There's that one thing in our life that we run to in times of trouble, and we don't know what we would do without it. And so these people, because that's where they are, they, they put their faith in these physical things. They put their faith in stuff that they created. And so now they're looking around. They can't find any good. And now they've turned into the people in church that nobody wants to be around. You know the people that I'm talking about. And if you don't, you probably are that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That, that's not true. Right? We all know who I'm talking about. Like, hey, man, how was your day? Oh, well, work last week. Like, it was terrible. Well, well, how's your family doing? Man, the kids are so annoying. Well, well, how about how about how about this? How's it? Oh man, that's terrible. How, how about this? Man, it's awful. And every time you ask them a question about their day, man, it's always terrible. It's always awful. And that's how these people have turned into. They're looking around at their life. They're like, nothing is good. Nothing's good. And and here's the thing: there's two extremes in churches today. Right There's that extreme that, that's like, man, everything is terrible. But there's the other extreme that I think is an equally large problem. There's the people that think everything is terrible. Every time you ask them how, how they are, it's awful. But then there's the other side where every time you ask them, oh, man, life's great. Life's awesome. It's great. It's so good. My life's great. And you're like, you leave the conversation, man, I wish my life was like his because he never has any problems, right? Both of those attitudes are equally as damaging. Because here at Bible Baptist, like Pastor... Forsberg, Pastor Yoder, and I, we don't want you to be terrible all the time. But we also don't want you to be good all the time. We want you to be genuine all the time. That's our desire. But that's not how these people are. These people cannot find any good. And so if that's you tonight, you came in and, and nothing in your life is good. You feel like everything in your life, no matter where you look, there is only bad. And if you're looking at your life right now, like some of you, you're examining your life right now, and you're like, man, that's me. Every time somebody asks me, every time something happens, every time, like every, every time I examine my life, nothing is good. And if that is you tonight, here's what I would tell you. You're looking in the wrong place. It's a simple answer. If you're looking at your life and you can't find anything good, then you're looking in the wrong place. C.S. Lewis, he said it like this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's why nothing on this earth can satisfy us. That's why nothing on this earth makes you feel better. That's why nothing gives you lasting joy or lasting confidence because you were made for another world. You weren't made for this world. You weren't made to, to have sin within you. You weren't, made, you weren't made for this place. You were made for another world and that's why nothing here satisfies you. That's why every single one of us has this void in our hearts that only God can satisfy because we were not made for this world. Why? Because you can never be satisfied by something that you created. Listen to that. You can never be satisfied by something that you create. So what's the answer? That's the question, right? 
if other things aren't the answer, if us looking for good things in our life is not the answer, because that's what people say, like, you know, oh, hey, well, hey, you know what, just focus on the good things. Try to find the good things. Well, what happens when you keep finding them? Where do you go? Well, let's look at verse number six. It says, there will be many that say, in that, there will be many that say, who will show us any good? And look what David said. Lord. He, he calls out to God. He says, Lord, lift up, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. And that leads us to our next thought, which is this. Jesus can make your stressful times feel like celebrations. Here's what, here's what David is saying. The word countenance, it can be kind of a confusing word, but basically it refers to someone's face. And so if you're reading scripture and you see that someone had a sad countenance, that means that like if Pastor Yoder has a, a sad countenance, not a bad countenance, sorry. If Pastor Yoder has a sad countenance, I can look on his face and tell that he's sad. Why? Because his face, you, you can tell someone's countenance, you can tell someone's emotions by their face. And so when David says, hey, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, what he's asking for is he's asking God to, to put his blessings on them. He's asking for, for God's hand and God's protection and God's blessings on the people of Israel. That's what he's asking and so listen to this. When everybody else in Israel is looking for these, these physical goods, everybody else, they're, they're trying to live that positive life, right? Like they're trying to find the good things in their life. They're, they're looking around, they're trying to find, but they're like, man, I can't find any good. Well, then David says, hey, I know that you can't find any good on this earth. I know that there's nothing good that you can find here, but I know somebody. I, I know somebody that can show you something good. Because you're not going to find it here. Like, you were made for another world. You're not going to be able to find anything good. But I know somebody that can show you something. I know somebody that can show you something good. See, when everybody was seeking after possessions, David was seeking after a person. What are you running after? What are you seeking? When you try to, to look at your life and try to find good, do you look at your possessions or do you look a person? Do you look at Jesus? And look at what David says next in verse number 7. This is where our thought, the, the fact that Jesus can turn our stressful times into celebrations. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Now, we have to understand what David is talking about in this passage. Okay, So he says, that God has increased his gladness, his, his gladness in his heart. He's increased it more than the time that their corn and their wine increased. So we know that during this time it was a very agricultural culture, right? And so, and so people farmed. That's what they did. That was their livelihood. Like you could not get food unless you farmed. Unless you were growing corn and you were growing wheat, you did not eat. That was their not only their livelihood, but that was their source of food. But then it says that the, the time where their corn and their wine increased. And so wine, back then, what they would do is they would, they would have grape juice, and then that grape juice, it, because they didn't have refrigeration, they didn't have anything like that, it would begin to ferment. And they didn't, obviously, you know, they knew the alcohol was wrong, right? And so they, they decided that rather than drinking that stuff straight, getting drunk off of it, they would dilute it with water because during this time, they didn't have, like, Dasani. They didn't have Aquafina, right? They couldn't get purified drinking water. And so what they would do is they would mix it, with the water, which would prevent them from getting drunk, right? Because it would dilute it. And then it would also purify their water. So it was a win-win, right? So they were able to use it for something, 
but not for something that the world uses it for today, right? And so they would dilute it with the water to purify it. Now here's the important thing. What David is saying, this is really weighty. What David is saying here is that the, these people, they're seeking after physical possession. They're seeking after the coin. They're seeking after the wine. Those are the things that they want. And David says, hey, my relationship with God makes my heart more glad than if I ever had any of those things. More than in the time where the corn and the wine increase, hey, you can have that all day, but I have way more gladness in my heart just by having a relationship with God. So I want you to hear me correctly. Because some of you, after I said that, you're like, all right, here we go. Like Nick's gone Joel Osteen on us, like prosperity gospel, right? Here we go. Like if you come after Jesus, you'll have everything you ever need. And, and, and if you come after Jesus, he'll, he'll give you everything you ever want. But that's not what I'm saying. That's not what David is saying. See, I'm not saying that when you come to Jesus, he will give you everything you want. What I'm saying is that in order to have lasting joy, Jesus has to be everything you want. Jesus has to be everything that you want. And so I'm asking you, do you desire Jesus? Think about that for a second. Do you desire Jesus? Not did you wear a tie to, to service tonight. That's not what I'm asking. Not, not do you dress properly on an everyday basis. That's not what I'm asking. Not do you listen to the right music. Not, not do you listen to, to, to the proper things. Not do you only watch certain things on TV. Not, not any of those things. Do you desire Jesus? Because I can tell you, there are plenty of people who did all the things that I just mentioned and they're spending eternity in hell right now. Because it's not about the tie. It's not about dressing properly. It's not about those things. It's about your relationship with Jesus. So those things will come. Modesty will come. Listening to the right things will come. Watching the right things will come. But it's not about that. Jesus does that. Do you desire Him? Do you want Him? You say, man, how do I know? Let me ask you this. When's the last time that he was the reason that you smiled? Think about it. When's the last time that you found yourself with a smile on your face because you were thinking about Jesus? For some of us, it's been a while. When's the last time you spent time with him? Like, read his word, tried to, tried to, to find something in his word for you for that day. When's the last time you did that? Like you woke up early, you didn't necessarily want to, want to, but you knew you wanted to seek after Jesus that day, and so you got in his word. When's the last time you talked to him? I'm not talking about a religious practice in the morning. Muslims do that. I'm talking about a genuine, like you're having a conversation, almost like you have a relationship with him, you know? When's the last time you talked to him? Because some of us, even though we're Christians, we're living that life that, that Pastor Yoder talked about last week. Because we're Christians. We, we have faith in Jesus. We know we're on our way to heaven. But after that, it's become a religion. 
And like Pastor Yoder says, God is not in religion. He's not. But some of us, that, that's where we are in our faith. It's not about a relationship, it's just about a religion. Like we wake up in the morning and we pray, but, but there's, no, there's no conversation. It's not like we're talking to somebody. It's just, it's just something that we do. When's the last time that you went to him? Because you wanted him. Not because you wanted his stuff. When's the last time you went to him and you just talked to him? Not because you wanted anything. Not because you were going through something. Not because you wanted that, that, new, like that new, new thing, right? No, just because you wanted him. Because for David, joy didn't come from the, the wine. For David, joy didn't come from the coin. For David, David wasn't like the other people. David wasn't trying to look through his life and try to find something good. Like David wasn't using the power of positive thinking. Like that wasn't David. David knew where his joy come, came from. He knew where everything that satisfied him came from because David found joy in the one thing that he could never lose. Because like I said before, everything else you can lose. Everything else has an end. But the one thing that doesn't is Jesus. He never has an end. He's never going anywhere. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He, he climbed up a, a, a hill with a cross on his back and died for you. That's how much he loves you. Friend, he's not going anywhere. And for years, I heard messages like this. And it was like the pastor was just saying, or the preacher was just saying, man, just suck it up. Like, get over it. Like, I get it. Like, all these bad things are happening to you, but just get over it. That's kind of how I felt. And I know that's some of how some of you feel right now while I'm, while I'm talking. And I don't want you to feel that way. Because God isn't a get over it God. God is a gentle God. But God isn't the God that kicks you when you're down and, and, and tries to get you up. Like, come on, just get over it. Like, it's not that big of a deal. That's not how God treats us. Because Jesus says this. He, he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. Interesting fact, that's the only time that Jesus ever talks about his heart. And he says that it's meek, gentle, and lowly, humble. That's how he describes himself. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, who being, he's talking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So when we look at Jesus, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is when we look at Jesus, we see God. Everything about Jesus is how God is. And so if Jesus says he is meek, gentle, and lowly, humble at heart, then that is how our God is. Because Jesus and God are the same person. And so God is not the God that's saying, hey man, just get over it. God is the God that comes to you. He says, hey, I know. I know what's happening. I know your marriage is struggling. Like, I, know, I know about that prodigal. I, I know that you want him to come home. I know. I know you feel lonely. I know you feel depressed. I, I know about all of these things, but I'm here. I'm right here. And I'm not going anywhere. And he walks me through it. That's the kind of God. 
So this is where David is. He's finding joy not, not in something that, that can be lost. He's finding joy in the only thing that can't be lost. Because Jesus can make your stressful times feel like times of celebration. Think about it. When, when the corn and the wine would increase during this time, there would be celebration. Like people would party. They would be, they would be happy. But, but here we have Jesus. Like we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have eternal security, right? That's one of the things we believe, that, that we can never lose our salvation. We are going to spend forever with God in heaven. And yet we have Christians that, that look like they drink lemon juice for breakfast when they come into church. But no, David says, hey, I can make your stressful, or Jesus can make your stressful times feel like times of celebration. And then he says this in verse number eight. Leads us to our third point, which is this. Jesus is the only true source of safety. Verse number eight, let's look at it together. David says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For the Lord only maketh me to dwell in safety. David says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. And that's interesting because in stressful situations, usually sleep is the first thing to go. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, like I remember when my dad dropped me off at college for the first time, right? Freshman year, fresh out of high school, spent the summer, did whatever I wanted to, right? And then I went to college, got to the dormitory, and my dad, it was the last day that he was going to be there. And he, I remember like vividly, like it was yesterday, he hugs me in the parking lot. And then he was crying, right? But I'm like, I'm tougher, right? I'm tougher than he is. And so I'm like, I'm not going to cry. No way. There's no way I'm going to cry. And so he walks away. I walk into the dorm room. I'm tough, man. And then I got into my bed and I bawled myself, right? Like, like really, really bad. Like it was like the worst crying session I've ever had in my life. It was disgusting. Um, but I remember that night being a very, very sleepless night. Like I got very little sleep. Why? Because I was stressed. And sleep usually is the first thing. That, that goes when you're stressed. And I want you to notice something. David has not said anything about his situation. Maybe it's changed. Maybe it hasn't, right? We don't know. David hasn't said anything about the situation that he is in. The only thing that he says is that he has peace. Which tells me that peace does not come from your situation. It doesn't. Because some of us tonight, we're, we're looking... We think that we experience peace. We experience that gentleness, right? We think that we experience the gentleness of God when our situation changes. But friend, I want to tell you something. Some of the greatest times that I've experienced the gentleness of God is when I just went to God and prayed and nothing had changed. Nothing. My situation, still the same. The only difference was is I went to my God. That's where we experience the gentleness of God. Not when our situation changes, but when we go to it. And look what he says next. He says, For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. See, some of us tonight, we're looking to our situation for safety. Right? right? We're looking to to our situation to provide us with security. But for David, it wasn't about a situation, it was about his God. Let me ask you something. 
What makes you feel safe? Think about that. What makes you feel safe? Is it your money? Is it your Second Amendment? Here's a relationship. What makes you feel safe? Because there are certain things that they're going to make us feel safe physically, like that's just natural. But if Jesus isn't on that list, then there's, there's a problem. What is it that if you lost tomorrow, you would feel completely hopeless? There's nothing left to live for. See, what David is telling us here is that there's something, or rather someone, that we can find safety in that we will never lose. We'll never lose it. And when our safety is found in Jesus, it doesn't matter what our situation looks like. It doesn't matter what's happening at home. It doesn't matter what's happening with our kids. I mean, it still matters, right? You see what I'm saying? But but we have Jesus. And so we have a hope. And, and I want you to see something. It's not Jesus plus something else that makes us feel safe. Like, it's not Jesus plus my 401k that makes me feel safe. No, it's, it's Jesus. That's the gospel. It's not Jesus plus something else that gets you there. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus a religion. It's not Jesus plus sacraments. It's not Jesus plus Buddha. It's not any of those things. It's Jesus. Only. It is only Jesus. So what makes you feel safe tonight? Some of you came in tonight and you felt anxious and worried, feeling like, there's no hope. You have no security. And I would tell you the answer is Jesus. He's the only answer. And I know I'm talking to Christians, right? Some of you are like, man, Nick, like this is like Sunday night crowd. We're saved. Like we get all this. No, I'm not talking about for salvation. I'm talking about the peace that David was trying to experience, that did it, that he did experience. pastor and I can't do anything. Like, you come to us, like, we can, like, Pastor Forsberg, you come to him, you come to myself, you Pastor Yoder, like, any of us, you come to us, and we'll be able to help you, we'll, we'll, we'll try to give you scripture, we'll try to walk you through some of these things, but ultimately, the only thing that we're going to do is point you to the only one that can help. The only one that can provide security, and that's Jesus. So how do we take this message and apply it tomorrow? First of all, you run to Jesus for little things. So like something little happens, it frustrates you, like Pastor Forsberg cuts you off on the way out of the parking lot, right? You go to Jesus. You're like, Pastor Nick, that is such a little thing. Yeah, but if what you do in the little things, you're going to do in the big things. So run to Jesus for little things, and then analyze your life, and learn what makes you safe. Like write a list out tomorrow, maybe like in your quiet time with God. Write a list out. Learn what makes you feel safe. And ask yourself, is Jesus on that list? Because if he's not, then you need to ask him to fix that. During World War II, there was a cruiser ship. It's called the USS Indianapolis. Really famous story. Some of you probably know it. The USS Indianapolis, it was sent on a, a mission in the summer of 1945. And the crew was about 1,200 men. A lot of people on the ship. 
they had just finished dropping off uh, parts, what, nobody knew this, but they had just finished off dropping parts of the atomic bomb uh, on an island, and they were sent on another mission. But what most of them didn't know is that this would be the last mission that they ever went on. Because in the middle of their route to get to their destination, the, the USS Indianapolis was hit by a torpedo from a Japanese submarine on July 30th, 1945. And in minutes, the ship sank. About 900 men survived the initial explosion. But that wasn't the end. See, after that, they spent four days at sea. They spent four days experiencing dehydration, salt poisoning, and shark attack for four days. The end of that, there was only about 300 of the original 1,200 men left. But it's interesting, during that time, when they were sitting at sea, men started to, to hallucinate. Because of the dehydration and the salt poisoning, they begin to see things that weren't actually there. And it's recorded that men would look down to the bottom of the ocean, and they would look down, they would start freaking out. They would start yelling. And men would like think it was a shark attack, and they would ask him, like, hey, what's wrong? And he would say, I see it. I see it. And they're like, man, what, what, what do you see? I see the ship. I see the Indianapolis. It's down there, and, it, and it's moving. And there's people walking on the deck, and it's moving. Like, we're saved. This is it. And everybody's like, Jesus. And men, they, they would look down and they would think that they would see their safety. And so they would begin to swim down to it. And they would swim and swim and swim. Never to be seen again by the crew. So what they were swimming after, what they thought was where they would find safety, was actually their death. And friends, I want to tell you tonight, if, if you're seeking after anything, if you're trying to find joy or peace or safety or anything in anything other than Jesus, then spiritually you're going to end exactly like these men did. And what you're seeking after for safety will actually be the death of Father, thank you for Psalm chapter 4. Thank you for the time that we've been able to spend. And Lord, I pray that something that was said tonight would be, would affect someone's heart. I know it did mine. Jesus, you're the only thing worth pursuing. There have been times in my life, Father, where you weren't what I wanted. But I realize now that you're the only thing worth wanting. So Lord, I pray that you help us. Help us to pursue you, to desire you every day. And as a piano player, I just want to give you time to do whatever business that you need to with God. Because he wants you 